This episode of the Disney Film Project is sponsored by TouringPlans.com. Head over to TouringPlans.com and use their tools to save yourself time and money when you are at Walt Disney World or Disneyland. You can use the Lines application on your mobile phone, use the Crowd Calendar to figure out which parks to hit which days, or use the Touring Plans to save time and money waiting in line. TouringPlans.com is the sponsor of this episode of the Disney Film Project. Welcome again, everybody, to the Disney Film Project podcast. This is the show where we talk about the films of the Walt Disney Company and all their assorted subsidiaries. It's Pixar, there's Marvel, there's Lucasfilm, there's Hollywood Pictures, Touchstone, and even Disney Toon Studios, which we get to talk about today. I am your host, Ryan Kilpatrick, and along with the folks you're about to meet, we run DisneyFilmProject.com, where you can find the latest news and information about the films of the Walt Disney Company. You can find Blu-ray reviews, uh, new new trailers sometimes we have there. We also have stuff about uh, old films, as well as the show notes for this very show. So make sure you go and check out all the great content over at DisneyFilmProject.com. Joining me, as always, we have our fine film expert, Mr. Todd Perlmutter who you could find as the chief technical officer at DisneyDrivenLife.com. He works at OnTheGo in MCO.com. And many of us have a theory that he is the reason why the machines have risen up uh, and are now possessing of souls and eyes and those sorts of things in the world of cars. Is this true, Todd? Well, you know, it, it's just one of those alternate realities. Almost like when he comes back in Planet of the Apes and it's got that weird U.S. version of the ape land. Same thing. Got it. Okay. Just, just being clear on that. Keep your eyes on him, folks. Also, of course, we have our wonderful producer, Ms. Cheryl Perlmutter, who you can find at about.me slash Cheryl P3, or you can find her on Twitter at Cheryl P3, as she relays to all of you the amazing work that she has to go through to create this here show each and every week, as she, she keeps Todd and I on task, she keeps the trains running on time, all that assorted stuff. How are you this evening, Cheryl? I'm doing good. This week I've been tweeting about um, ALS and um, about stem, stem cell research in other countries. It's proven to help these diseases. There you go. See, there's all kinds of information you people can learn uh, by following Cheryl over on Twitter. You never know. It's always informative. And, of course, from time to time, we have folks join us to help us out on the show, and this week is no different. We have with us returning from, from because we felt so bad about having her watch Unidentified Flying Oddball, uh, we have Rachel Kolb, who you can find on Twitter at Rachel E. Kolb, or you can find her at JustPressPlay.net. How are you, Rachel? I'm doing good. Um, I, I will say this is a step up from Unidentified Flying Oddball. See? See? Sorry, I'm I'm I am currently we're we're talking about planes, folks. That's what we're talking about. The the recently released film uh, by the aforementioned Disney Toon Studios, originally set to be a direct video film to expand the world of cars. Frankly, to sell more toys. I don't think anybody would deny that that was the actual uh, original idea here. I believe you to be correct. Yes, uh, but. M- much as Disney would like to spin it, much in the vein of Toy Story 2, which was also intended to be a direct-to-video feature, when John Lasseter saw the movie, he thought there was enough material here to make a feature-length motion picture in cinemas, and it was 
polished up and and released into the world on August 9th, and, and even in 3D. Yes. I, I don't understand, because... I saw it both ways. There's no no redeemable 3D qualities in this movie. Fair enough. I do want to thank DVC, though, for letting us see in, in 3D. We saw it in 3D for free, and With we also got popcorn. free popcorn and a drink. Sweet. Yeah. It was awesome. Being a member has its privileges. <laughs> yes, it does. But uh, this this film has been the subject of much hatred and scorn from the Disney community for being the aforementioned you know toy excuse. I guess would be a good way to put it. Uh, so we are here this evening to discuss whether or not it was a worthwhile film or just as as said a toy making excuse. Um, and I think I would land somewhere in the middle of that debate. Um, me too, though probably I don't see why it was released in the theater. Well, my my only question is why it took so long, because I remember seeing images of this bef- in the Hollywood studios before, like, ages ago. I can explain. Um, this is this uh, movie treatment that we got is the third sc- full complete script that was written for this. Uh, they had whole parts animated that they just didn't scrap. They just revoiced, changed the angle on. Because you know when you do three D scenes, you can just point, drop the camera anywhere and just re you know take shots. It's kind of neat stuff. Um, the original version actually had him being a warplane during wartime. Did you read all this stuff? I so I, I read something about it, but I, I would love to hear the full story because I somebody had had kind of you know anyway we got into it in, on Twitter about the fact that World War II was even mentioned in this movie. I would I'm, I'm interested to hear what what the full backstory was here. Well, okay, so you know that um, Skipper and his sidekick there, whose name I can't remember. Sparky. At, Sparky, thank you. Uh, at this point in time, were originally introduced in the Mater Tall Tales. Uh, Air Mater. Uh, I did not know that, but that, but I and I've seen that. I probably just didn't remember it. Right, and he, the two of them are introduced, and he turns to one of them and he said, he goes, "Hey, we should make a plane. We should make a movie about planes, or somebody should make a movie about planes." Mater says some kind of line like that. The joke was that Larry the Cable Guy was actually supposed to be the principal voice actor, a principal voice actor in the movie. He was supposed to be voicing Uh. the Fliesenhauer. During wartime, because the ship itself was supposed to be the captain of the ship, which was not something you saw in this movie. You never saw the ship talk. There was, like, some other guy that was acting as captain, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, indeed. Well, in the, in the original version, the ship itself was the captain, and it had Larry the Cable Guy's voice. Interesting. Hmm. So it's... So- Go. So you said that this was the the third version of yeah. the script? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Really? Yeah. I just <laughs> They've been making scenes for for years and like I said when you, one of the things about th- uh, computer animation is when it's in 3D, you can literally take the same scene and make it look completely different. If you think back or if you go onto YouTube and you find some of the original trailers that you saw for the movie, you will notice that in this movie you see the same scene with the during the daytime instead of nighttime, or during the nighttime instead of daytime. Mm-hmm. But it's the exact same scene. It's because it, it doesn't take them much to change that, and yet get it doesn't cost them anything more, really, to do, because they've already spent all the money on the animation. Okay. See, 
I actually had a couple of other ideas of how if I had written planes, like I, I, I would have done it. But we can get into that later after you know we've actually talked about the movie itself. So, yes, I have choice things to say, <laughs> <laughs> and I will use good language. I promise. Yeah, I mean, it, like for me, I think I probably went in with really low expectations because knowing the genesis of the film, that it was produced to be a reason to make toys, I didn't expect a whole lot. Um, my son, my 11-year-old son, who was who's all about cars, had no interest in seeing it and refused to go to the movie theater with me. So it was me and my 7-year-old daughter, and when I got to the movie theater, like I'm in a movie theater with a bunch of other parents and a lot of other kids her age and younger. And they, all the kids loved it. And so, and I didn't, again, wasn't expecting too much, but like, I didn't get bored with it. And I felt like, you know, it was, it, it was about what I would expect from a direct to DVD movie. Uh, I'm with you, Todd. I'm not entirely certain why it had to be in theaters. See, I had a different experience with the theater I went to. It was about half full. Like I went to I went to the theater actually in Times Square to go see it and it was about halfway full and the kids did for most of the movie didn't seem engaged with it at all. I don't know if it was just like, you know, like some of them were running around, um like one family had like their kids had all brought their scooters so they were going up and down like the front of the theater. What? Um <laughs> I know, it was ridiculous. Um and like a couple, like a, there was this one kid who was in the row below me, um, and he was running up and down with his uh, with one of his parents' umbrella, and like smacking the back of the seats with it. So, so this was the environment that I saw it in. I I literally sat in the back row as far away from everyone else as possible, and just went, "I'm just gonna, I just, I'm here to see the movie." <laughs> I would have been out of there and asking for my money back, like like that. <laughs> Note to sell wow. see movies in New York City. At least not in Times Square. Yeah, I, I was going to say, I, I, I think usually, we knew that already. Yeah, it was, the, it was the only place that had, like, a decent screening that night, so... Sorry, I'm, it, having, <laughs> I'm having a moment missing the old Paramount Theater. Excuse me. Right, I'm over it. 150-foot <laughs> screen. You guys have no idea. I, I can believe you. Anyway... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know where to go with this. So, <laughs> at least she got parking. Does all I have to say is at least she did not have the recent parking problem we had. Oh yeah, yeah, folks, don't don't drive to downtown Disney for the next year. Just saying. And in, in yes. uh, yeah, no, yeah, bad. I've heard this. Yeah. Bad, 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 all around. Good to know. Yeah. Good to know. Let let let's talk about the movie a little bit because, uh, like I said, there the there is a lot of hatred out there for this film, um, and to my mind, it's somewhat it's it's somewhat unnecessary like like if hating the film is going to make it go away or something which it's not just so we're clear because they're it's, planning to make three of these it's it's number it's number 53 it's on the list it's going to be on the list forever you're not going to get it knocked off you got to accept what it is it is not in my opinion it's not great I mean, we. I'll yeah. get in. I'll get into that I, as we go. I agree with you. I agree. I, I think. I, I think we can all safely say before even giving a rating, right? That this is not exactly high art, or you know, one of the top half of the films that Disney's ever done. Unless you're a kid, I have to. Okay, here's where I again from pirates. I I start 
making friends with those five the 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 five and under range, the seven and under range, um, because I disagree. I really think that for someone that age, I mean, maybe it's not totally engaging, but it's a way to bring discussion in. Like, for example, the war scene. I mean, it's a way to discuss a war with your with your children that they wouldn't be able. They're you know. Here's a way of discussing war that's not that it's still a little bit scary, yes. But you get but you don't get the people aspect of it, so it seems less scary to them. Um, that's one thing I felt. I also felt that, you know well like when he sank <laughs> um that, you know, I felt like me and the kid behind me we were over, like crying already. I think he was gone. I think he was thinking he was a goner. Um, so I have to say, I dis I just disagree. I think it's for the age range. If you're targeting the ten, the seven and under age range, if this is what they were targeting, they did good. If they were targeting, you know, you know, different age ranges, then we can talk. Yes. Yeah. But I think for I think for the age range this was targeting. I think it was I think it was done well, and like I said, it can bring up you can bring up discussions at home, where using this movie and going forward, especially what's going on in the world currently. Yeah, I, I think the main discussion they were trying to bring up at home is where can I buy that dusty crop popper toy? <laughs> that may be true. I, see. See, and that's where my my issue is with the with the movie because I feel like here's and here's the thing I'm gonna I'm gonna bring up a personal experience with this. Um, I used to nanny for a two year old boy who was very into trains, very much into Thomas the Tank Engine, and I could have seen something like Planes being like a half hour Disney TV show. I could yes. have seen it being something that you sit down on the car, like the carpet in front of the TV. You bring out all your pl- like planes toys, and you're like, "Okay, we're going to watch planes, and you know it's going to hold your attention span for a few minutes, and then we're just going to play with the planes." And you'll be like, "Oh, and look, it's still on." Um, I guess that's why I didn't think that it was the best for a theatrical release. That uh, that's once again, this is just my opinion. But um, if if I had been in charge of the project, I might have put it together more like that instead of a feature-length film. Yeah, well, when, when Lasseter took it over, I mean, one of, the, one of the big quotes that he had said at the time was um, something along the lines of that he is just a – he loves he cars, he loves planes, and he loves trains. So now I'm, like, worried that we're going to get trains movies too. Oh, well, they pro- I'm, oh I'm sure we are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. He probably loves John Candy too. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, you're part of, part of the people complaining oh about the whole thing. Uh, okay, no, 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 no. There's there's gonna be there's gonna be a tie-in to Lone Ranger. They're gonna they're gonna make the train a talking train in post-production. Oh, no, no. <laughs> comes out on Blu-ray. They could. It's a, it's the world's most famous train. They can make a cartoon with the with the with the train, and we get long, like a Lone Ranger cartoon. I, I'm just saying I think when the boss is talking like that, it's going to happen whether we like it or not. I mean like Ryan said, there's, there's two sequels already on the books. One of them they announce at the end of the movie, which mind you, there have been movies before where it's been announced at the end of the movie and you never saw the sequel. Yeah. Right? Yeah. 
But like the most famously, oh my gosh, now I'm blanking on it. Buckaroo Banzai. Yes, Buckaroo Banzai. Black Hole. <laughs> and Black Hole. Which, yep. which John Lasseter said himself he was going to make, remake. Cheryl's he, not letting that one go. That, <laughs> um, hey, you, you say you're going to remake something. I'm sticking you to it. So, yeah, but I mean, the, the sequel already has a release date for next year, so I'm pretty sure it's coming. And the name, and it's in pre-production. All yeah. as of last Friday when this movie was released. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I said, I mean, by the way, folks, there's nothing after the credits. The only thing after the credits is the announcement for the new movie, so you don't have to wait through them if you don't want to. And, yeah. well, well, and, and the bunch of indie... I hate that... Okay, we're not, we're, we don't mean to be any type of negative toward any, any type of stereotype. But there's also, after the main cast, is a bunch of Indian names. Yes. they're obviously from this movie out to India. Yeah, yeah, a lot of the production was done mm-hmm. overseas. Yes. For sure. And we, and we yeah. thank the country of India for the movie. Indeed. I think, I think we can thank John Lasseter for the movie, but, you know, we... I mean, the bottom line before we start talking about the movie is, like, Disney's a corporation, so... If they saw something on the table that was going to make money as a shareholder, I'm glad they did it. As a person who likes good movies, I think they didn't need to. But I appreciate the fact that they at least tried to make it decent. Yeah. I actually, uh, sorry, uh, I actually have a quick thought about that because there was an interview with uh, John Lasseter uh, right before Planes came out that did kind of worry me in this aspect because he said. Um, that he expects much more of the Disney Toon Studios uh, to be going to theaters, not because the products are that much better, but because he said the direct-to-DVD market is drying up, that he is he thinks it isn't making them as much money anymore. So, and and I don't like I I don't really appreciate that because I'd rather you know if if I'm expecting a direct-to-DVD product. I'd I'd rather, you know, pay $15 and get it on DVD and own it and be able to watch it whenever I want to as opposed to like the families that I saw at, at Times Square that had paid for I mean, and we weren't even in th- the 3D version of it, but it was like here in New York it's like $12 a ticket to go see a movie anymore. And that's on the, like that's on the low end of things. Yeah. I and that was just kind of frustrating to hear that from, you know, a company that's, you know, a creator of family-friendly entertainment, that it's like, I'd, I'd rather have them put it out on something like this out on DVD, that, you know, the family can buy it and just watch it at home instead of paying that much to, to take them to go see a movie that should have come out on DVD in the first place. Or I'd rather them have the, the alternate, which is what they do with Teen Beach movie. Is let's put it on Disney Channel. Let's get it, let's get an absorbent amount of money off of Disney Channel, and then put it on DVD. Yes, or like the uh, the High School Musical model of doing the first two movies, um, like on on Disney Channel. See that it has you know some legs to it, and then like the third one, which I actually like quite a bit. Even I'm I'm not the biggest High School Musical fan, but um, I thought that was actually a good way of going about it. Don't yeah, worry, I mean, I th- yeah, we, we're big enough High School Musical fans for you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think the model for this is more like Star Wars: The Clone Wars, 
where same thing like that was supposed to be a direct to DVD movie or the premiere of the TV show and they put it out on in theaters not expecting it to to do a huge amount of business but basically to get the franchise out there and take advantage of all the press that comes with it and I think that's kind of what they're shooting for here except instead of sending everything straight to video they're putting it out in theaters and then they're going to build the franchise through you know, DVDs and and rental and online rentals and those sorts of things, as well as the toys, uh, because that's what happened with Clone Wars. I mean, they basically the the series Star Wars: The Clone Wars. I mean, like Todd, I think you agree is quite good. However, it was mostly designed to sell toys. It's Agreed. the same idea, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I yeah. think that's what they're trying to do here too. Yeah, I, I, look, let's face it, this movie did not cost – it only cost $50 million to make. That's not a lot of money for a movie these days, and it's already made back almost $28 million as yeah. of today. So it's going to make back its money, and it's going to make more money than that. So they're going to make this next movie. They're not, not going to make the movie. Whether it gets released mm-hmm. in the theater, that's up for grabs. Well, and the other thing to note, too, is I doubt they spent a ton on marketing for the movie. So if you look at if you look at where they've marketed the movie, for the most part, it's been on stuff that Disney already owns. True. It, pretty much everything, every Blu-ray put out since they've been converting their stuff to Blu-ray in the past two years. So. Yep. But, yeah, no, I, I know. I mean, look. Can I say what my two biggest problems are for the movie? Because I think it's a good time to discuss them before we actually go through the movie. Please one, do. One is that of all the characters in the movie, Dusty is the least interesting. Yes. Agreed. Okay. <laughs> I mean, Agreed. There's, there's nothing uh, – he didn't need to be in the movie because everything else was far more interesting. Even the little delivery truck dude. Mm-hmm. Okay? He was more interesting than Dusty was. Um, my other problem is is – is that, look, you go into cars, right, and whether or not people like car racing, they fundamentally understand what car racing is and how it functions. When people imagine airplanes, they imagine Blue Angels, they imagine Thunderbirds, they understand what an air show is, okay? They might even understand what a time trial is from an air show, and they might understand a small, like, little jump rally or flying through hoops or something at an air show or stunts, but I don't think that anybody really understands what plane racing is, and I don't think this movie helps with that. I would agree with you. Well, the interesting thing is that my my idea for how I would have done this as a movie is actually doing it much more like Around the World in 80 Days, like do, doing it like an adventure movie instead of doing it as a strictly race movie. Um, and once again, you could also like set it you know, in the past, you could sit in, like, the 1920s or 1930s and have kind of an adventures club-type feel to it. Um, and that way you could still also have the different planes from the different parts of the world the way that they, they tried to do in here. Um, and maybe even have them be more of characters. And that also, of course, then brings up the whole thing that Dusty is a plane that doesn't really belong with all these racing planes. You could have him be impersonating you know, like a famous flyer or something like that. You know, like some famous plane that, uh, in actuality, he isn't. Yeah. I, mean, so, I like that. I, yeah, the adventure angle is good. I mean, let's let's face it. Uh, between – the only two movies I think of, like you said, 
um, Around the World in 80 Days is a great example of a movie that kind of does a similar thing with the map and everything, but handles it better. Um, then I think that the only other one that deals with planes at all is The Rocketeer. Yes. Right? <laughs> yep. Um, yep. And, but really, the, the whole plane thing is actually secondary. It's not the, it, it, is, it is the basis, the underlying thread of the movie, but really everything else that goes on has nothing to do with planes in Rocketeer. And, of course, there's the reference in this movie to The Rocketeer with uh, El Chupacabra is a BG-1 also, so just like at the end of the movie. Right? In the beginning of the movie, yep. too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I mean, I agree. Like, so we we start off the movie um, as we get into it with by being introduced to Dusty. Like you said, Todd, it's just him doing racing. And he's voiced by Dane Cook. And frankly, I think that's part of the issue with Dusty. Um, yes. I don't have anything against Dane Cook. Some of his comedy I find funny, some I don't. His voiceover work in this I thought was just dreadful. Like, it's just unemotional. Like, I don't get anything from Dusty, if that makes sense. You know what I mean? Also, um, ask your kids who Dane Cook is, and will they know? No, they will not, and <laughs> yeah. I don't want them yes, to. Yes, <laughs> that's what I'm saying, is that, you know, it's not, you know, we're not talking in the past where they've done somebody, you know, like, mm-hmm. you know, Larry the Cable Guy, you know, type of thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, besides No, I, I, I understand. Yeah. Like, his film roles have really been, like, these very adult comedies, like Good Luck Chuck and uh, um, My Best Friend's Girl, which I unfortunately had to sit through. And Dane Cook's acting is just, he's hes not very good. He's, he's an okay comedian, but he's not a good actor. Yeah. He's he, so, like, this one is forgettable in most of his roles. Yeah. Mm-hmm. At, no, that's absolutely right. So, and I think that's part of it of what you're saying, Todd, about Dusty not being necessary. Because from the very beginning, like we see him, you know, racing, and it turns out it's a dream. And everybody on the, I mean, in the what's it called, prop prop gate junction or prop wash tail, junction, prop wash junction. Thank you. Everybody's making fun of him for pretending he can race, and he has this old crop duster that's flying next to him. Lead bottom. Lead Bottom, voiced by Cedric the Entertainer, who is actually quite good in the five minutes he's in it. <laughs> yeah, though and, unfortunately and, he gets the first fart joke of the movie. But not the last. No. <laughs> <laughs> Which is unfortunate in and of itself. And, and you know, you get kind of get quickly, I mean really quickly, introduced to the world. It's basically like... It's almost like if you picked up at the end of Cars and just got introduced to Lightning McQueen there as he's already in the environment. You know what I mean? So there's no there's no character development whatsoever. You're just supposed to pick up on archetypes of, oh, oh here's the old guy who doesn't want you to go off and do stuff. Here's the, you know, frankly, Luke Skywalker character in Dusty who wants to bust out of the farm and go do something adventurous. Here's the trusty mechanic friend, Dottie. Here's his best friend, Chug, the, the gas truck who's really dumb. I mean, like, it's totally archetypes, and here's who they are. And there's nothing, there's no motivations for any of the characters. And even Dusty's I Want to Race is not really a motivation. There's no reason why he wants to do that. You know what I mean? It's just, here's the situation, and mm-hmm. go. 
Yeah, we don't we don't really have much of a reason for why he wants to be a racer. Just he does, and go with it. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Which I mean, as we've reviewed a lot of direct to DVD movies this year, like, like all the the sequels that we've done, you know, the Hunchback and Mulan and and those. That that's what you get in a direct to DVD movie. It's not like they give you a great character setup and and you know here's the prime motivation for all of those. I mean, there's always exceptions to the rule, of course, but. It, it it's it is what it is, right? Here's here's the characters. They're based on stereotypes. Move on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Also, Prop Watch Junction is basically a plain version of Radiator Springs. Yes. Oh yeah. All, all the mountains in the backgrounds are like tales of planes and plane parts and all the same thing going on. Well, it's it's it's. I mean, it's almost entirely the same thing. I mean, Dottie is an art is a analog for Sally, Chug's an analog for Mater, and, and Skipper's an analog for Doc. I mean, it's the same stuff. There are even yeah. scenes where Doc looks the exact same color. I mean, I've, Skipper looks the exact same color as Doc. Yeah. I mean, it's it's literally the same story. It's just they're like, we already told you how we got to this point, so we're going to skip... <laughs> We're going to skip all, all that character work that we did at the beginning of the cars and just go straight into this part. Yeah, there's there's actually a scene where they're I think they're celebrating something and just all these random other planes show up and I'm like, oh, a couple random extras show up to show their support. And yeah. I, I was like, yep, I don't even know who any of these people are. The, well, these planes are, but and, and a fire truck and, a, <laughs> and, a, and an old car and I'm like, where have I seen this before? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I mean, but the thing is, like, once you get past that point, to me, it's okay, right? Like, like if you just come into it and accept that part, it, it actually turns out okay. Because, I mean, like, he goes the next, he, you know, they want, he wants to get Skipper to teach him to race. And Skipper, of course, refuses because he's an old World War II veteran and doesn't fly anymore. And he doesn't want to deal with Dusty or anything like that. And it, it's kind of, I mean, like, I thought the interaction between Dusty and Chug in that scene was actually pretty funny. Yeah, Chug was enjoyable, actually. Yeah. As far as characters go. Well, and I couldn't even tell that that was Brad Garrett. Oh, really? No. I could completely tell, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I All couldn't right. tell Dottie was Terry Hatcher. No, no, I no. couldn't. <laughs> that one completely surprised me when I looked it up. Or that Skipper was Stacy Keach. Well, I knew that, I knew that one from interviews. Yeah, it makes sense in retrospect, but at the beginning, I, you know, I, I, until I until I read that, I didn't know. But yeah, so Dusty enters the qualifiers for this around the world plane race, and despite the fact that he get that everybody's you know, hey, you can't do it because you're just a crop duster, he finishes sixth, which is actually quite good. Uh, but you had to finish in the top five to to make it, and he he doesn't. But a few days later, it turns out that number five was cheating, so he's in the race. And I think, like, that entire, everything we just described is, like, what, ten minutes? The first ten, fifteen minutes of the film? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. He flies against Fonzarelli. <laughs> yes. Fonzarelli was a cheater. Yes, he was. Yes, he was. But gave him the best advice he got in the whole movie. No, that was the other guy. No, no, Fonzarelli comes up to him after the time travel and said that was a really great run. And, this whole, and he said, you keep at it, you're going to do good and be famous someday. No, that was another guy. Was it? Yep. Oh, okay. Pretty sure about that. Yeah, I thought it Someone was can correct dude. me. 
Yeah, I, I, I literally don't remember. <laughs> but, but yes, so the core of the race is actually, or the core of the film, rather, is actually the race itself. So it's kind of like a combination of Cars and Cars 2. The Wings Around the Globe competition. Yes, yes indeed. And so he actually does, because he is in the race, convince Skipper to train him. And we have... I was very sad, Todd, there was no training montage, really. There was a, a tiny one, but not, not, not like the typical, you know, Rocky Balboa training montage. No, because it was, it, was it was always wig shots. Like, I, obviously, whoever did that scene really was like a fan of Top Gun. Right? Yes. Because there's yeah. that, and there's all the Top Gun references later on in the movie, which we'll get to when we get to that part. Mm-hmm. Oh, before before we get too far, uh, I I want to point out that his his name uh, when he's racing is Strut Jetstream. <laughs> yeah, which, and, yes. The first thing I thought of was Mystery Science Theater when they did Space Mutiny, and they had all the names for uh, Dave Ryder. Um, I've got a couple of them here: Roll Fizzlebeef. Punch Rock Groin, um, <laughs> uh, Bob Johnson, like just these outrageous over-the-top names. I was just like, yep, that's exactly where Strut Jetstream You belongs. know what their fundamental problem with the name Strut Jetstream is? It has to be said like this. Strut Jetstream! Just the, like that. The other problem mm-hmm. was that um, the buddy there made up the names, made up a name for himself, made up the name, and then forgot the guy's name. I think that was just how Chug was. I know, but I think I think it's funny that you know he's the one that made up the name. Yeah, he forgets it. Oh, you know what I wanted to say is one of my favorite things. That, there's not a lot of actual information at the official website, but what I like at the official website is if you go through all the characters, each character has in the movie every plane has even Chug even has their own special logo that Disney designed. I'm not making this up. Okay. Every, every single character has a special logo. You really have to go see these. I didn't I, see. I didn't see the logos, but the, I saw the little shorts that they had for each character. Oh, uh, if you go um, through each character, they each have a logo right mm-hmm. above their little blurb. It's it's crazy. It's it's all about the toys. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So yeah, we get we get the skipper training, uh, and he's racing against a, a a plane, and or racing against the shadow of a plane, which was I thought that was a kind of a cool trick. I mean, again, like they didn't have to do a whole lot of thought to make this movie, which is you know not saying much, but I thought that was kind of a cool thing where they had they set up the obstacle course with the silos, and he's actually racing against the shadow of the plane above. Yeah, that, As that it was goes actually by. my favorite part of the movie too. By the way, the the, the training with the, against the shadow because it was just the most clever thing in the whole movie. I thought. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think I, I'd yeah, agree, I agree with that. Mm-hmm. There, that's the thing is like that's where that's where I give them some credit because stuff like that they didn't necessarily have to do right. Like you could. This is a fairly paint by numbers kind of a story, right? It's like go A to B to C, and you know. Go buy the toy, kiddos. You know, they like that's that's what they pretty much had to do. Um, but they did come up with some some cute little clever things here and there, and they they did try to give it a little bit of weight to the story um, later on, which I think fell flat. But they did try, so I'll give them a little bit of credit for that. But we'll talk about that and the whole the whole skipper stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But yes, so once once they – in the middle of the training, though, the, the big thing that comes out is that Dusty, a plane, has a fear of heights. This seemed completely unnecessary to me. It's yeah. barely, barely used in the rest of the movie. I mean, I get he's flying low most of the movie, but that's not really – they don't really say – that that's because of heights. Now we know that it is, but they just don't go back to it. Yeah, I think they I think they go back to it one time. So the thing that confused me about um, the fact that he's flying low for the entire race is the fact that when the ones that are flying up higher get those currents and all, so they get that advantage. And as it is, he's already an underdog. Like he's already, you know the way that he's built and everything, he's not going to be as fast as these other planes. So it didn't make any sense to me how he was able to fly low but still keep up with these ones that are already predispositioned to be faster than him and plus have the advantage of having these currents. I go back to that point of not understanding racing for planes. That's how <laughs> I feel. Here's the thing. Is, mm-hmm. is Until India, which is what, the third leg of the race, right? Yeah. Okay. He does, that's the first one he actually wins. Okay. All the other ones, he, he lands last because he helps uh, Bulldog, right? He, uh, in, in the yes. second one. In the first one, he comes in way, 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 way last because he froze and had to fly slower as a result and freeze more that whole time, right? They point that out. So it doesn't matter that they let him fly in the last leg because wouldn't he be so far behind? I don't understand why just arriving like, you know, 20 minutes earlier than everybody else in the in the India scene, which is how I felt he was early, right? I didn't think it was a significant amount of time, okay, just that he landed first. I didn't understand how that kept him in first place at that point in time, but they said he was in first place. Right. Mm-hmm. No, I, I kept looking at it like the Tour de France, just like you, like, or, or like the love bug, right? Like, like if he finished, you know, an hour behind everybody else, he had to start an hour later. Yeah. Right. Uh, but that's not the way the race actually worked. They, there, was, there was absolutely no logic to the race. I agree with you. Right. They penalized him at the end for the crashing and being rebuilt, but okay. He, and, which which is also unfair because all these other planes crashed or had mechanical problems and just were automatically dropped out of the race. No, Bulldog still flew. Well, Bulldog did, but there were, there were, there were like yeah, there were well about half of them got cut out, but before the end of the movie, <laughs> like just, there were like I think twenty some planes and they were down to like thirteen by the end of it. Yeah, some planes just disappeared. And what's great is they have names in the in the credits. I think they show up at the end when they're giving him parts, right? Some of these planes mm-hmm. that haven't actually even been seen <laughs> racing some of these legs. <laughs> but they're not otherwise in the movie, no. Nice. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, that, that part of it, there's no internal logic to it. But I think, like, to Cheryl's point earlier, they were counting on, you know, five- to seven-year-old boys watching this and not really caring. They just want to watch racing. Like, mm-hmm. they just want to watch planes go fast. So the race begins at JFK Airport in New York, where Dusty, unfortunately, comes in less than stellar in his landing. Yes, that landing was really weird, folks. He almost got run over by another plane. Yes, a, a commercial airliner basically almost crushes him, which would have been a bad start to the race, I'm thinking. <laughs> Probably. 
Yeah. Uh, and as he's getting out of the way, we, we get John Ratzenberger showing up, apparently to try and bestow some of his Pixar charms as a, uh, what is it, a tower, I guess? I don't know what you would call that. That's, that works for us. Works for me. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know enough about <laughs> airports and how they function. Well, actually, that's not even a true statement. But I do know how airports function, but not how airplanes outside the airport getting towed around function. Right. Uh, but yeah, he's trying to bestow some of the Pixar good luck, I guess, in this one. I don't know. And the Star Wars good luck. Yeah. That, true enough. Oh yeah. Technically, he's a Star Wars reference. I guess yeah. they need to they need to put him in Guardians of the Galaxy, and then you know he'll he'll have the trifecta going. Well, they haven't cast Rocket Raccoon yet, so you know. <laughs> now I'm now I'm just picturing the raccoon voiced by Ratzenberger. <laughs> oh my gosh, that'd be amazing. We meet all the different planes here that we're going to spend the rest of the, our time with uh, in the race. So first we have El Chupacabra, yes. the Mexican race plane. Uh, we have Rochelle, the French Canadian racer who El Chupacabra is madly in love with and chases throughout the re- remainder of the film. <laughs> and we have the the head racer, Rip Slinger, who is basically Chick Hicks from Cars as a plane. Same colors again, too. Yes. <laughs> and, and his voice even, you know, they, they picked a voice actor who was very close to the way Michael Keaton did Chick Hicks. I mean, like, really, really close, to the point that I looked it up to see if it was him. Yeah, I know, because the whole when he goes, I'm Rip Slinger, it's just like, you know, when he does that, that commercial voice, it sounds yes. just like Michael Keaton as Chick Hicks. It really does. Yeah. And then if, then we have Ishani, who is an, an Indian plane, who is also going to be in the race. Oh, wait. Apparently, Rip Slinger is our, is our Avengers connection. Is he? Mm. Apparently, um, he is in Marvel's Avengers Assemble as Captain America. Oh. Well, there you go. All right. Well, fair enough. And then last but certainly not least, we have Bulldog, the British plane voiced by the one and only Mr. John Cleese. Yay. (laughs) Yay. My favorite part of the film. (laughs) By the way, I do have all the plane types written down, but I'm just, I'm not, they'll be in the show notes. I'm Unless we really want to know what a particular one is, I'm not going to get into it. No, I'm good. It. Yeah, <laughs> you're good. I I did find it interesting that uh, the uh, woman who plays Ashani is Priyak, Priyanka Chopra. I don't know. Somebody's probably going to pronounce that better than me. Um, but she's like a famous Bollywood star, and she's a former Miss World. I thought that was interesting. Well, there you go. I don't have that on my resume. Me either. Yeah, see, this this probably wouldn't have bothered a lot of people that went to see this movie, but I I couldn't help but noticing that El Chupacabra uh, bears a striking resemblance to another character named El Chupacabra from the show Comedy Bang Bang, which basically it's, it is almost the exact same character. It's just a little bit cleaned up for family audiences, including the womanizing part of it, which, yeah... <laughs> I wasn't exactly a fan of that that part of his storyline. Yeah. Okay. It's 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 a little weird. I mean, like when they when they started going through this, I kind of groaned a little bit, honestly, because it is the exact same thing 
his cars too, of, hey, let's get all these different planes from different parts of the world, and, you know, we'll have new characters and new toys to sell, and it'll do better overseas. No, I was just going to say, like, you could almost see the wheels turning at Disney, like, oh, it worked before. Well, the way I explained this to somebody, because they were asking me to explain the movie to them and try to give them, a, you know, what I thought. And I said, I thought it was like a fanboy meeting all of his, all of his, like, legends. Oh, yeah. I can see that. That's, and that's, that's the way I, I mean, that's the way I saw it. Like, I, he had been this fanboy because he knew everything about every one of them. Like Coulson meeting Captain America. Yeah, and, and, almost. And, and so, but, and, and, he, and he's like gushing over some of, these, some of these people. Yeah, yeah, I could see that, for sure. I just, I, I don't know that it was necessary to have, like, again, all the basic stereotypes of the different, you know, types of nationalities and things like that. Like, we, we, we did that joke already. You know, a couple of years ago, I don't know that it was necessary to do it again. I have another question yeah. about racing, air racing. Yes. What was, what was the prize? I mean, like, there's a piston cup in cars, right? What did they win? No well, idea. <laughs> hey, apparently, adulation is the entire is the entire crux of the prize. I guess I don't know. Yeah, that's that's all I got for you. Love. <laughs> there was there was no community save- center that needed saving. There is, like, usually there's there is that thing. It's like the cash prize. We need the cash prize to keep the, the uh, orphanage alive. Yeah, yep. mm-hmm. yeah, you're right. No, I didn't even think about that. That would have been perfect, and they didn't even include that. Oh, and little little orphan planes. That would have been awesome. Rachel just made a better movie. Or we could have funded the, or we could have funded the Jolly Rogers um, War Veterans Fund. See that that could have worked. Well, I, it, I, it's Jolly yeah. Ranchers in the movie. They're making. Sorry. They're, Sorry. They're, no, 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 no. You're fine because they're referencing the real life Jolly Rogers. Mm-hmm. You're totally cool. Okay. Yeah. By the way, did you know that that's a Donald Duck reference almost? No, I did not. Do you know why that's a Donald Duck reference almost? <laughs> Sorry, this, no. this is really obscure. That's why I'm <laughs> laughing. Okay. By the way, I mean this is probably my most obscure reference that I dug up, but I liked it. So I put obscure in parentheses. Um. So. Uh, the Jolly Rogers are the VF-103, um, by the way, and uh, that's where Skipper's supposed to be one of. That's why they're on the Eisenhower because that's – well, they're on the Eisenhower in the movie. In, in real life, they're on the Eisenhower today, but they were not originally on the Eisenhower. They got their start on the USS Bunker Hill, which is a decommissioned ship at this point, I believe. Um, and do you know what the ship's logo is on the Bunker Hill? I do not, sir. It is Donald Duck. <laughs> there you go. So, obscure reference. Wasn't Dusty also supposed to remind us of that plane from Los Amigos? I kind of had that feeling in the India scene when he's going to fly up the mountain. Yeah. Right? I don't remember the name of the plane off the top of my head. I don't remember the short, you know, the big, the big evil mountain. Uh, got a Pedro. 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 Yeah. I knew you'd yeah. remember. <laughs> yeah, I've watched those movies more times than I care to admit. <laughs> but I mean, you're right. I mean, he's even painted the same colors as Pedro and everything. So, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, I think there's definitely an intended sort of nod towards that stuff. But and and all the planes really kind of come from that 
idea, just like the cars come sort of from the idea of Susie the Blue Coop, as we discussed when we did cars. Yeah. But, you know, it all it all comes full circle. But, yes, so the first leg of the race uh, is from New York to Iceland, and Dusty, as we mentioned before, gets ice on his wings from the cold ocean and comes in dead last. I mean, everybody else is already in Iceland, you know, drinking motor fuel or whatever it is that they're doing at the fireplace, and, and he comes in dead last and, you know, has to go and collect his thoughts and watch Chupacabra get shot down by Rochelle again and, you know, basically mm-hmm. ends up miserable after the first leg of the race. And he gets some excellent advice from the bartender. Are you having a bad day? Have a drink. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like it's like okay <laughs> you said you great advice well isn't it though isn't it <laughs> yes thank you you're welcome so yeah so the next leg of the race is is where we start to build a little bit of the of the quote-unquote story and i put that in quotes because there's not a lot in here uh where dusty actually even though he's he's trailing behind bulldog gets uh oil on his face we can't see and so dusty flies next to bulldog and kind of talks him through how to land so that he doesn't crash in essence, saving Bulldog's life, although it's not nearly as dramatic as it sounds. That was my biggest problem with this, is that they didn't really present it as that dramatic of a moment. Mm-hmm. I guess it's because they didn't want to scare the kids. Maybe. But the idea the idea is, right, that Bulldog's going to crash and die. And they don't really put it in that light, even though he says, you know, you saved my life, but like even, you know what I'm saying? Like the score and the, the visuals don't relay, Hey, this is a very dangerous situation. That is true. Yeah. I mean, he, the, the worst thing that happens to him when he's blind is that he gets some flags wrapped around him. at at one point or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, but that's important because Dusty shows, you know, shows Bulldog, Hey, I'm a good guy and you should, you should be kind to me and everything. So that's that's it's important because it comes back later into the one of the most contrived endings I've ever seen in my life. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> but but the piece in and of itself, by the way, the animation of the racing in these parts, I thought was really really good. Yeah, the backgrounds are actually fantastic. Yeah, to give them credit, I mean, it's not it, it it's you can tell the difference between this and a regular Pixar film, but you have to look. Like, you have to work at it. Yeah. Yeah, especially especially one of the Cars films where the main characters don't have fur or things like that, like you'd see in, the monst- in Monsters or uh, uh, Brave or something like that. Yeah. For me, the most exciting of the racing parts was the, the scene in the, in the tunnel with the train, with him racing against the train to, to get out of there first. Yeah, which yeah. is the next next piece that happens, right? Because they get mm-hmm. to the, – the next leg is they get to India, and Ashani is, tra- is giving Dusty advice. And, of course, Dusty's sort of smitten with her. And she says, you know, I noticed that you fly low all the time. Here's how you get to, through the Himalayas. There's railroad tracks, so just fly along the railroad tracks because – what happens is when he, when he's doing, when he's flying low, he's you know trying to avoid mountains and things like that, and he's afraid to go over the Himalayas 
because he'd have to go high. And so Ripslinger is trying to get rid of him because he's getting a bunch of press. And so when Dusty does do this, as Rachel said, he ends up flying through a tunnel because there's no other way for him to go and not go high, which to me, like, the better option at that point is going high. But, you know, whatever, Dusty. <laughs> guess it's not time. It wasn't time for him to, to, to clear his fear yet. Uh, but, yes, so he ends up going through the tunnel and the train's coming towards the tunnel and he's flying through the tunnel trying to fit and he just – he. You don't even see what happens. It just everything goes white, and the next thing you know, Dusty has landed, and he's ahead of everybody because he basically took a shortcut, um, and he did not hit the train. He ended up in India at the next, you know, the next pass, and wins the leg, which makes no sense, as we said earlier. I do want to go back and talk about um, him and the Shawnees. I won't, uh, I don't know how you call it a date. I don't know flyover. I don't know what you call it. Um, with when they're together in India, they talk about the um, tractors. Yeah, and then that the recycling. Was, yeah, and that was, and I like that. I like the tractors, but they like they point out the tractors, and we all knew it was a throwback to cars. Yes, although mm-hmm. they didn't know they nobody quote unquote tipped them. I don't know what they actually called the cow tipping in in cars, but you know. <laughs> um, actually, the whole scene when they're flying over is actually probably the prettiest scene in the whole movie. When they're flying over India and stuff like that, or their version of India, I, yeah. I just I just like that the colors, the sunlight effect was really nice. I thought it was cute that instead of seagulls, it was paper gliders. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, that's yeah right. I yeah, like yeah, that yeah. too. Yeah, and if you look at and during that scene too, if you look at all the clouds, all the clouds are airplanes. I don't know if you caught that. I did not catch that. No. Yeah. Um, so this is one of the things that people are complaining about online too. Is that despite that it's supposed to take place in in the Cars universe, they overplane things that had already been themed as Cars in the Cars movies, like the Taj Mahal. Yeah. Right. Because right, at the end of Cars two, there's that whole thing where they show all the landmarks, and Taj Mahal is one of them. Right, and in here, Taj Mahal is like clearly an airport. It's got radar towers and stuff like that. But in Cars too, it, it has a whole different look. You know, Statue of Liberty also, right? In Cars, they show it, and mm-hmm. it's it's a car at the end of Cars too. And here, it's a forklift. But I, that was something I did like. I thought it was a clever use of the fork, having the forklifts be the quote unquote every man in the film. Yeah, and, and it's the same thing as in as in cars, right? It's like the basically serving the same purpose, right? It's like the pit crews. It just never occurred to me because I thought it was more effective. That was one thing that was more effective in this movie than it was in the cars movie to me. Yeah, it never, I can see it never that. really clicked with me until this movie. So, yeah, yeah, it makes sense. So. Yeah, he, he at that point notices that when he lands, a Shawnee ha- has a new Ripslinger model, or I, I don't know, I can't remember what the model was, but basically it's one mm-hmm. of Ripslinger's propellers. Skycutter. Thank you. That's what it is, I think. Yep, so he right, realized, I think. Yeah, he realizes that she betrayed him and gave him bad advice in order to get the propeller. Uh, so he's in first place, then when they head to, they, they, the next leg heads to Shanghai, and it's in Shanghai that he... He helps convince El Chupacabra that he needs to take a different tactic with Rochelle 
And rather than rap and yell, I'm a love machine, he gets him to sing it as a slow mariachi ballad. And this was the most painful part of the film for me. <laughs> yeah. Like, like I'm getting a headache just thinking about it. And see, like, this might not have played very well, like, for for American audiences or anything, but I, I think I would have been more okay with this scene if they had maybe chosen, like, that instead of doing something like Love Machine and then doing a mariachi version of it, why doesn't he do just, like, a traditional Mexican love song? Something that they wouldn't actually have to, like, really pay for rights or anything for it and would actually show off Mexican culture. Instead of just, oh, he's singing an American song just in a Mexican-type way. We, we are talking about an airplane dressed like a lucha libre. Yes. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> this is a valid point. Yeah, I, I, know, I know that they're all basically racial stereotypes, but I just it, it would have been nice to maybe give a little bit of actual, I, I, I don't know, legitimate culture to, to each of them beyond, oh, like cows are sacred for the Indian character and um oh, you know, I'm gonna sing this mariachi style because I'm Mexican. And the tea for them the bulldog. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree. It was a it was a little it it was a painful scene, um and definitely could have been done better. I get that what they were trying to do, right? Like take a completely silly song and then try to turn it into a ballad. Like I thought that part of it actually was clever. The song that they chose though was just painful. Agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, all right. After this is where we get into what I have to consider the John Lasseter came in and said, add some depth to the movie portion. Yeah. <laughs> Because that's the only way I can explain this. Um, so, rewinding, Skipper, the the quote-unquote coach, was revealed to have been a World War II plane, um, and he's always talking about the missions that his his team flew and all the things they went through. And Dusty, the whole time, every time he stops for a leg, is taking advice from Skipper over a radio, and he's referencing these missions and that you know his team, his crew, had flown over X, Y, and Z. And... Yeah. All right. So the the idea being that Skipper is a, a war hero and flew a lot of missions and, and all this kind of stuff. And this is why Dusty asked him to train him. And Right. So the next part of the race, they're going across the Pacific and Ripslinger's two little henchmen, Ned and Zed, uh, they knock off Dusty's navigation antenna. So he doesn't know where he's going. He has no clue where he's, where he's going. Um, he feels like he's going to, you know, he doesn't doesn't know what he's going to do, uh, and he gets lost and he gets intercepted by two fighter jets. Echo and, and Bravo are their names. Of course they are. They're, they're and, the Top Gun reference. Uh, yes, they are because they are voiced by they're, they're voiced by Anthony Edwards and Val Kilmer themselves. Using, they're wearing the exact same helmets as their characters, Goose and Iceman, as well. Yes, and and if the kids have, if the kids listening have not seen Top Gun, you shouldn't yet. Yeah, it's also the 
the CalArts reference. But as we noted in our uh, preview of 2013 episode, is the 113 was given away in the previews to begin with, because all they do is show this, these two airplanes in the uh, in the preview along with yep. Dusty. So, but so they they managed to steer Dusty to the USS Fliesenhauer, the aircraft carrier, so that he can land and refuel. Uh, and when they take him down to the second deck on the carrier, he sees this big Hall of Fame for Skipper's crew, his squadron, and he sees that Skipper only flew one mission. And so he's immediately suspicious about everything he's learned about Skipper, but he gets refueled, and they basically catapult him off the carrier so that he can keep going because he's so far behind. Into the big uh, storm. Yeah, into, they're trying to get him ahead of the storm, but it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. It's not a big storm. It's a typhoon if you listen to everything in the movie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that doesn't work so well. And Dusty, flying low, gets crashed over by waves and ends up sort of sinking in the ocean. He gets fished out and is eventually rescued, flown to Mexico where the rest of the the crew is and where the rest of the racers are his crew skipper and Dottie and chug had flown to mexico to meet him there but he's just banged up all over and basically everyone's like you're finished you're done and he's trying to talk to skipper and he confronts skipper about what he saw on the fliesenhauer and says you know you only flew one mission and then skipper confesses and he gives a flashback I'm just I'm getting a little ill talking about this. I'm just going to be yeah. honest. Uh in my notes at, at this point I just wrote, "Whoa. What?" I I think that was my overall feeling from here until the end of I believe the scene that you're talking about, the whole flashback. Yeah, so there's a flashback. And it's Skipper and his squadron in World War II in the Pacific, and I think what they're referencing is the, the is the Battle of Guadalcanal. But basically, Skipper and his crew are supposed to be scouting things out. They see an enemy ship beneath a passing cloud out where it's not supposed to be, and the other guys in the squadron try to convince Skipper to go and take on the enemy ship. Uh, they eventually win, and when it ter- what it turns out to be is an ambush. There's enemy ships everywhere, and Skipper and his crew are all destroyed. This scene was so distressing for me. I can, there's reasons why they put this in. The movie, basically, like like you said, I mean, what do you, remember, you got Lasseter helming this more or less. Yes. Helmeter, Lasseter with his hands-on, hands-off methodology because this was his film, but not a Pixar film. So that's how I, I right. Hands off. Um, he insisted that they do a fair amount of research on this, so um, they actually went to a lot of air museums because uh, the people who work at air museums are generally veterans. So to talk yep. them to talk them about things like specifically about battles and what it's like and what it's like to be in a war where you're in a plane and that whole sort of thing. So they had a lot of those conversations to try and get this to be as realistic as possible from the viewpoint of the storyteller in this case, Skipper. I think the I didn't I didn't have a problem with them adding depth to the story. My my issue with it is that this is such an enormous tonal shift from the rest of the movie. The rest yep. of the movie is silly racing and El Chupacabra is singing silly songs and you know and then just all of a sudden it's like saving Private Ryan with planes and I'm like, Whoa, what's going on? <laughs> because I mean it's it's like they're 
it's I mean it's planes, but it's it's pretty violent. Yes. But it's so but I hate but again, I feel it's like you can be a little bit removed as a kid because it's not you know, again we're not talking again, we're talking thing. We're not taking seeing seeing real people dying and seeing something we're connected to dying. We're that just is true. seeing we're just seeing we're just seeing a quick shot of a of a war. And, and objects blowing up. And objects way. blowing up. And so I mean why would why I would equate it to um is like I don't know I know we haven't reviewed this, I haven't even seen it yet, but maybe victory through air power Ryan? Yeah, I mean, Victory Through Air Power is not as graphic as this is. No, like I was saying earlier, though, it's like when Bulldog's in trouble, you don't feel that, right? You don't feel like he's really going to die. In this, it is such a shift. Like you said, Rachel, it's these planes are going down and they're being shot and, like, the gunfire looks real and and everything like that. I mean, like, the, something like, like you said, Cheryl, Victory Through Air Power... They definitely show planes and they show them, but it's it's in a way different way. I mean, like this is – it's just such a change from everything else in the movie before and after, I might add. Mm-hmm. It's just, hey, here's a intense battle from World War II right in the middle of your fun kids movie designed to sell you some toys. I don't know. I guess I really didn't feel that, but – I didn't feel it as bad as you guys are, but, you know – yeah, that, and, hey, everyone sees everything enough. differently. So that's right, mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah, it's just other toys they can sell. <laughs> it's true. It's oh true. no, now I'm just picturing World War II playset. That's no. <laughs> oh, that's you, you know, there's a USS Fleisenhower in our future. Oh, oh, I know there is. I'm just thinking of that specific scene, and I'm just like picturing, you know, self-exploding planes, and I'm like, oh no, that's. <laughs> <laughs> The other, the other part is of this that I don't get is I don't understand why – because I, I get what you're saying, Todd. That's why he's listening to Skippers because he thought he had all this knowledge. But I just didn't get that it was that big of a deal. Like, does the guy still know how to fly? Yes. Yeah. But also – right, because that's what he did, right? I mean that's part of the story is he tells the story of, well, I trained people. That's what I do, you know, so he trained Dusty. I, I, I agree. Well, that's that's a typical story beat in a lot of like the these types of movies. You know, the underdog who, you know, has the trainer and the trainer isn't ex- being completely honest with them um, about their past or something, so. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I I get the idea that they were going for. I just don't think it came across. I think it's yeah. probably where I'm landing. I'd agree with that. Um, so then we get our It's a Wonderful Life moment. Yep. Because <laughs> that's the only way I can describe it, because basically Dusty's so beat up he can't exactly fly anymore. So all the other planes who he's been nice to throughout the rest of the movie bring him parts so that he can – replace them and fly, starting with Bulldog, who brings him wings, and then everybody else brings no, him Chup- other parts. Chupacabra Chup- 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 brings, brings him wings. I'm sorry, you're correct. Bulldog gives him a GPS, which I agree is probably a better choice than an antenna on the back of him. It's true. <laughs> I sometimes overthink movies like this, and I, I fully admit that, but I wrote in my notes here, 
everyone gives him parts. Isn't this kind of like organ donation? <laughs> that that is that was a little. I, I had to kind of shut that thought down. I will agree with you. There. Note note he is neutered earlier in the movie, according to the way they go through that particular scene. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, this is one, if you think a little too much about it, you're going to be disturbed. Yeah, you are. Yeah, not to mention, of course, the question of where does a plain soul lie? In, wh- in what part? Because, I mean, technically you could change out just about every part of a plane the then. Will, will, it, will, will it still be true? Good point. <laughs> the black <laughs> Okay, I, I concede that. So they could change out everything except for his black box and... You know, it's he'd still technically be the same Dusty. I guess so. I don't know. You're you're right. It is a, again. If you think about it too much, it's a little creepy. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, but the important thing that's happening while this is going on is Chug is watching footage of Ripslinger's last race, and he notices something, but we don't really know what it is. Uh, he tells it to Dusty, and so the last leg of the race. Uh, Dusty is flying, they're flying basically from Mexico back to New York. And Dusty's making sure he wants, he's going to win the race. He catches up, he's dead last. Uh, and apparently this is the only time in the race that he's assigned a time penalty because he has to start like 20 minutes after everybody else. But he catches up, catches everybody, catches up to Ripslinger, and <clears throat> the the flunkies go after him and Ripslinger is there Skipper kind of intervenes to try and keep Ripslinger off his tail. And I thought that part was actually pretty good, of them all flying through the desert there. Although it did look a lot like a pod race. (laughs) Probably intentionally. Yeah. Did anybody else get that feeling? Yeah. Okay. Wasn't just me, though. No. Uh, But, so he manages to, to... you know, get through it, and that basically mends the bond with Skipper because we never mention any of that other stuff ever again. Like, they just dropped that whole storyline of him not being happy with Skipper. Skipper saved him, came to his rescue. What <laughs> Pretty much. Uh, but yes, he's trying to catch up to Ripslinger. He's, he can't quite do it. But there was a scene earlier in the movie where Skipper said, you know, if you get up in the jet stream, it gives you, you know, a turbo boost like you couldn't believe. And so he gets over his fear of heights, goes up into the jet stream, and catches up to Ripslinger. And what his buddy had noticed is that Ripslinger, when it looks like he's going to win, he slows down and turns toward the camera so that he gets his picture taken. So when he does that at JFK... Dusty slips in beside him and sneaks underneath him to get to the finish line and and win the race first. Yeah. And he gets nothing for winning. Sorry. No, he does not. No. (laughs) And and Rip Slinger crashes into porta-potties. Yeah. And hit with a bunch of oil sludge. Yeah. That was, that was pleasant. Yeah. No, like you said, the, the movie ends with a potty joke. So, no, 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 it doesn't end with a potty joke. It ends with them in the Navy. Dusty oh, that's true. And no, Skip, I, sorry, Dusty and right, Skipper right. all of a sudden are in the Navy together, and I'm like, what just happened? They're honorary uh, Jolly Ranches. Yep. Yes. It's hard not to say Jolly Rancher when every time you say it, it isn't it? It is, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, Well, I think this is just like I said earlier. This was originally supposed to be a wartime movie, and it was all this stuff was done for wartime, and so I think that that's... That's why scenes like that were animated to begin with. 
Yeah, could be. And maybe that's the third one now. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I just feel like they should have gone one way or the other. Either go with a racing movie that's just really fun and kind of silly, or go with something much more serious, like like a war war theme movie so yeah well i i do want to say that granted this isn't a pixar movie but it kind of sort of is you know i mean because really i think we're going to hit a time soon enough where disney is going to look to drop those names because i think laster is just about to do that personally well disney tune um, definitely i was i was getting that impression from the interview he gave so yeah, i i think i think he's just about to bring everything under I mean, and when I say about to I mean like within like three to five years I don't mean tomorrow because um, that stuff never happens immediately you get a lot of, you got to sell stuff like that internally to your company and just that's purely speculation on my part folks I got nothing to back that up I just feel it um, and you know they've proven with Toy Story that you can take a not serious theme and mix it with a drama and achieve a good story Right, but you you know here I just they obviously they fall short of that. Yeah, well, in Toy Story two, it's natural because it's there's already set up the whole notion of abandonment, like you know, of toys being abandoned by their kids. Right. The war thing isn't set up like right. most, as as well. So I agree. Most people haven't been through war. Most people have had a toy that they've had to give up and didn't like to do so. Mm-hmm. So they, they, you know, like I said, it's it's that connection. It's the same type of connection I was making earlier, where people, I don't believe people really understand air racing. You know, I'm not even convinced it's a thing at this level that they show it in the movie. Well, also with Toy Story two versus this, I mean, in Toy Story two, the whole point is that on the one end, there's the oh, it's so great to be owned by someone and to be played with and everything, and then there's the darker side, which is, but one day you could be left behind. Whereas if it, this one, it's like the lighter side is racing and fun and, you know, but there isn't, it, it seems like it would make more sense to do like the darker side of racing, that he was, maybe Skipper was a former racing plane, that something went terribly wrong during a race or something, as, as opposed to a war hero. All right, anything else to say about planes before we, we rate it and wrap it up? I only had one more note on this, um, that I, I kind of liked the credits animation a bit better, like just that style. That it's it it kind of reminded me of uh, like nineteen forties uh, like kind of war propaganda that type of look um, the way that the planes were drawn or how they were laid out so um, I think I would have maybe enjoyed that sort of animation better with it but once again that's speculating about movies that don't actually exist so fair enough I think that could that could be your thing that could be like your shtick. Speculating yeah. about movies that don't exist. I like it. <laughs> All right. Uh, so one to five. Uh, we'll start. We'll start with the ladies. Cheryl, how about you go first? What would you? What was your take on planes? Well, if I'm seven, I'm giving it a five. <laughs> but however, however, you are not. However, I am no longer seven. <laughs> I have to be realistic a little bit. Um, I give it a three. I mean, it does have flaws. We've, we've said what they are. Um, you know, I have to be realistic. I came in thinking that this was going to be, like, awful, and it wasn't. So it was, it, was, it was watchable. I have to say that. So. Yep, I, I, I can hear you there. All right. Uh, Rachel, your take. 
Okay. Um, I feel like I've been a little overly negative, and it's it's not necessarily Planes isn't a bad movie. I I wouldn't classify it as a bad movie. Um, I think I I want to give it two and a half stars, but I have to knock off that half point because of the fact that I just feel that strongly about the fact it was released in theaters as opposed to directly to DVD and just the cost difference in in that. Um, so I'm going to give it two stars and recommend instead um, that if families want to get something else that's Disney-related, uh, for $15 on Amazon, there's a four set of Disney classics, which does include The Happiest Millionaire. As well as, as well as Darby O'Gill uh, and Little People and uh, the one, one and only genuine or original family band. So um, so pretty good set there. And um, I also, if, if I can also throw in one other thing that I would recommend instead of maybe necessarily seeing this movie if you're on the fence about it. Um, I saw an excellent movie this past week that is family-friendly. Uh, it's called The Extraordinary Adventures of Adele Blanc-Sec. Um, and it's basically a female Indiana Jones set in Paris in the 1920s. And it's great. It's it's rated PG, so it's good for, you know, most ages. So um, I would recommend either one of those over planes. I think it's very interesting, the fact that this came out the same summer as Monsters University, which really has such a ver- very different message about the notion of dreams and your like abilities, your inherent abilities that you have as as a person, versus um, you know the value of hard work and everything, and how far hard work and study and everything can get you, and that sometimes you know you may want something very badly and you might do all the right things to to get it, but it might not happen. Whereas in this, in planes, it's kind of the exact opposite. It's you know you put in you know a couple workouts and you're racing, you know, top planes from around the world. This plane that came in sixth place in a local race, I'd give it two stars. I just want to comment on family, um, Happiest Millionaire, this be where the story is a sham. <laughs> <laughs> Going into that, this, this, so you'll become like me, who was a fan of the movie for all these years, and then we talk about it in podcasts, and then there goes my favorite movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, poor Cheryl. She had all of her illusions shattered. It's, it's just not fair. All right, Todd, your thoughts on planes? Well, I mean, I pretty much said how I felt about it in the beginning. I, I here's here's the thing. I I will agree. It is this is not the worst movie on the planet or on the Disney roster. Um, it's you know, it's below the middle. Um, that's how you know. I I just don't feel it's. What I feel it's not is, well, it's not a bad movie. It's not a strong movie either. It doesn't really... There are enough movies about underdogs. It's the easiest type of movie to try to make and the easiest type to mess up. And this is somewhere between those two. But like I said, leaning more towards the bottom. So I'm going to just give it a two. I I am kind of going to lean right there with you guys. Of this isn't This isn't bad. Uh, this is just, it's just, like you said, Todd, it's, it's a story that's been done before and done better, but it's not as bad as what everyone has kind of made it out to be. I think if you, if you go into it, 
if you have kids and they're trying, they're begging you to go to it, and you're a Disney fan and you don't want to, uh, I would say just go ahead. It's it's not that bad. Make sure you go to the matinee uh, with Rachel. Don't pay the evening price. Uh, but it's 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 not that bad. It's it's a movie that's you know it's fine for what it is, which is as we've said many times, an attempt to sell toys. So they didn't have to make it all that great, but they made it decent enough, I think, to where. You can enjoy it, and you know you don't regret going to the movie theater. So I would I would give it a two and a half. So I'll be right there in the middle of, with you guys. Definitely below average, but but not terrible. We are we are not in Chihuahua territory here. So that is going to do it for this week's episode of the Disney Film Project podcast. We hope you have enjoyed listening. If you have, or even if you haven't, please let us know. Go over to Twitter. Uh, you can find us there at Diz Film Project. Um, you can also find us on Facebook at Disney Film Project. Or, of course, you can uh, comment in the show notes of the show over at DisneyFilmProject.com. We want to thank Rachel for joining us again. Thank you, madam. Thank you. And until next week, folks, we will see you soon. Oh, for sure. That guy's going to die. It's not how fast you fly. It's how you fly fast. I don't cry. I'm British. Thanks for first place. <laughs>